0: Real quickly also, before we get started, like that's the only actual announcement, I did just want to say, um, I, I have felt compelled to say, uh, just for the past couple of weeks, and I mean this felt like a good, as good a week to say it as any, uh, I am so grateful for you, I really, um, and, and maybe it's because we've been like, looking at all these ancient churches uh, you know, that, like, had all kinds of problems. <laughs> and uh, so it, it's, it's helpful in in the harder moments to realize, like, oh, this is, this is actually a very old story that we're participating in. Like, nothing here is new. Uh, and then when things are going well, it's, or it's, it's, help, it's helpful to know, like, oh, we're, you know, we're a part of this ancient tradition where, where people are, are journeying and exploring and discovering new things and learning to be more and more loving and graceful and Christ-like to one another. So um, every week that we do this, feels like a gift to me and so thank you for being a part of that thank you for um caring enough about this place to to continue to pour yourself into it in whatever way that you do that and um it's something i've never i've never really said because i'm the kind of person who i don't like to ask for for help i don't like to ask for i don't i don't like to ask for rides to the airport if you will if that and so like um but we uh it's you know if if you are of if you are the kind of person who prays, I, I would love your prayer. I would love, for, for me, for my family, for this church, just as we sort of uh, continue to sort of push through, we're, we're kind of coming to the end of our infancy as a church. We've, um, we're a little over two years old at this point, and um, we're kind of discovering who we are a little bit more every single week. And part of that is really exciting, and part of that is a little, uh, you know, it, it, when you realize that it isn't the thing like sometimes sometimes it's more than you hoped for and sometimes it's just different and and a lot of times that comes with a little bit of grief and so um and uh so again for those of you who have been uh, participating and praying for us and, and with us, uh, we, I'm so grateful for you. And so thank you so much for doing that. And I, uh, we're just getting started. And every week that you show up, it means we, we get to do this one more time. So thanks so much for that. And I also... And this part's weird because um, I'm talking to no one who's in the room, but to the podcast audience, we have... Um, so it's, it's, like, it's like this weird prayer to, like, hundreds of people who just exist who are not in the room with us. We have... You may not know this. We, there are hundreds and hundreds of people all over the country and then one person in Australia, apparently, who... <laughs> Uh, who join us every single week. And uh, I receive, at least once a week, I receive one or two emails, uh, Facebook messages, text messages from people who have never set foot in this building, and yet they feel like they're a part of this with us. And that's so exciting. And so to... uh, so, so for, for those of you in the room, please know, like, the, the conversation is way bigger than what you see here. And then for those of you who are listening online, welcome. Uh, and uh, if you're ever in town, we would love to take you to Babe's Chicken. So, um, so thank you so much uh, to, to everybody who's a part of this. And I, I've been feeling very, very grateful lately. So um, I wanted to, to, to eat up some very, very valuable time that I do not have to spare uh, because we've got a lot to get to today just to, just to share uh, my gratitude with you guys. And, uh, again, if you are the kind of person who prays, we would love your prayer. So, uh, and speaking of that, why don't I pray for us and we'll, uh, we'll get going. God, we, we thank you for one more week where we get to do this. We thank you that, uh, we continue to, to learn more and we continue to explore and we continue to become more and more of the people that you have called us to be. And in the moments where things are way better than we ever thought they would be, we thank you that we can enjoy that. We can revel in that. And for the moments where it's a little bit more uphill than we thought, We pray for strength and we pray for endurance. We pray that we remember that we are not alone, that we are part of a tradition that for thousands of years people have been trying to figure out how to do this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So, okay, I want to invite you, if you have a Bible, to turn to the book of Revelation chapter 3. Like I said, we have a lot to get to. So, uh, way more than usual. So, I'll um, I'll do my best to to go kind of (laughs) quickly. Which, you know nothing new here but we um so what what we're doing what we've been doing if you've been following along either online or with us here is we've been going through this series on the book of revelation and we've been looking at these seven different letters to these seven churches and what we found is that this book of revelation is actually a correspondence from this guy named john to a massive group of people to seven different communities all through ancient turkey and so what and what we find is in the first two chapters of this book is you have these small mini letters to each of these seven churches basically saying like okay before before we get to like the bigger broader themes of what it is we came here to talk about i have a little thing to say to each group of people here to each of the subgroups of people here so we talked about all these different cities and all these different churches and so today uh we're looking we're actually we're, we're to the end of this we're uh, we're finally to the end of the seven churches so finally we can get started on the actual series uh next time so uh, but today we're, we're looking at a city called laodicea and before we even get going one thing about laodicea you have to understand this is huge this is a ma- major important thing you have to understand about the city it was very, very, very wealthy. This is one of the wealthiest cities, in, at, at least in ancient Turkey, if not like the entire like, known world. And so the thing that made Laodicea so wealthy, there were actually three components to their wealth. And the first component was that this was the banking center to this region in Turkey and so if you're the banking center this is like Wall Street this is like the, if you if you need money if you need to interact with any sort of financial institution you go to Laodicea in order to do it which means not only do they have their own financial stuff there they're also housing financial stuff for lots of... that's the actual official term thank you economics <laughs> majors uh, they, they're housing lots of financial stuff for lots of other people so within the city of Laodicea there's lots and lots and lots of gold so because that's that is a major form of currency at the time and so you have have at one at one level you have this is a banking center the next thing about laodicea that makes this a very uh, wealthy city is that they were the manufacturers and distributors of a particular type of of a particular type of black wool there were uh, a specific kind of sheep that was near that was local to this area that um naturally produced a very fine thin kind of black wool that made really nice clothes that very wealthy people wanted to buy. And so the city became like the chief exporter of these very, very like well made, fine garments. And so so if you're a wealthy person who lives anywhere in this vicinity and you want to like dress and you want to be really well dressed, you're probably gonna own something made from this black wool and all of it comes from Laodicea. So you have it's a banking center. It also exports a lot of black wool and garments made from the black wool. It also was the home of a very famous medical school, so in fact one of the, one of the things that made the medical school so profitable is that they had developed uh, the ability to make this uh, stuff it was called Frisian powder and I may be mispronouncing this, but um, it was basically it was a stuff called Frisian powder and it was used specifically it was used in the making of a very very um, gentle useful kind of eye salve so if you live in the desert as lots of people in ancient turkey did then probably you're gonna you're gonna have dry eyes a lot and so what, one of the things that um you find is that this was the chief exporter of the stuff that lots and lots of people would put in their eyes anytime they would have eye problems and so you have in one city it's a banking center they're exporters of this really really fine expensive wool and they're also they've, they've developed a new ty- type of technology that is good for people's eyes and so So you have all this stuff in one city. So all of it, all this has come to like, this is a really, really wealthy city. So now understanding that we're going to look at a passage that's not going to help you understand this at all, but we're going to, hopefully all of this will come together, but it's going to be very confusing at first, which is kind of fun, quite frankly. So in, um, in Revelation chapter three, beginning in verse 14, it says to the angel or to the messenger, of the church in Laodicea, write, these are the words of of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth, which sounds weird and harsh and gross and doesn't really tell you much at all. Because, okay, if you grew up, like I did by going to like lots of church camps and various other types of Christian activities, you may have heard this passage explained, because this is one of the most famous passages in the book of revelation, the hot and cold, but lukewarm part. This is how it has been explained to, to me, at least when I was growing up. And again, in the context of like a Christian youth camp, it was hot is good. And cold is bad. Because we're all basically on, like, this faith continuum is basically the idea. And so, like, hot is, like, you are on fire for Jesus. And cold is you're, like, a godless pagan. You know, and and so there, like so, they there were descriptions of like these two opposite poles in which hot was good and cold was bad, and then it talks about lukewarm and like the way it was described. Again, in my personal experience growing up, was lukewarm is what it looks like when you say you're a Christian but you don't go to church on Sunday, or or something like, or you know what I mean, or so, some other sort of thing. Like you're not really like as intense about your faith as other people are. And so lukewarm is, like, the person who um, doesn't... isn't, isn't that excited about it one way or the other. So that's how it was explained to me. It may surprise you to learn that's absolutely not what this guy is saying at all. There's way more going on here. So... I mentioned before that the city of Laodicea is very, very wealthy. And when you're a very wealthy city, you get accustomed to a certain way of life, and you get, you get used to pretty much having anything that you need. So it became a real source of aggravation to the people in Laodicea that even though they had all of these resources and all of these things, one of the wealthiest cities in the known part of the world in, at this time and in this place, the, the one thing that the city does not have is a useful supply of water. So I'm going to draw a map here. And this is, Laodicea will be marked with an L. And so this is a map. I'm, um, this is going to be really exciting for a second here. So you have Laodicea, and it sits sort of in this, in this one spot in, um, in ancient Turkey. And next to Laodicea, and whenever you're going to start a city, this is important. If, if you're ever thinking about starting a city, something you really need to know is where's our water going to come from? And so whenever they had started the city of Laodicea, whoever started it apparently believed that the river that flowed near Laodicea, which was called... Um, oh my gosh, I've completely lost it. I think it's the Lycus River. Um, there, there's a river known as the Lycus River. If, if that's wrong, I, to the podcast audience who's like freaking out right now because you Googled it, I'm so sorry, but I'm pretty sure it's the Lycus River. So there's this river that runs um, near Laodicea. And so I guess whenever they started the city, they thought like, okay, this will be our, our water source. The problem is it's a pretty weak source of water. It doesn't flow very consistently. And in the summer, in the hot Turkish summer, it dries up entirely. So you have like long, long spans of time throughout the year where there's no water at all in the city of laodicea so now the question becomes if you are in the city and you can't move so what do you do the next question becomes like okay where can we get our water so there are two cities nearby or relatively close to the city of laodicea that have really really good supplies of water the first one is directly to the north which we'll mark with an H, uh, it's called Hierapolis. Now, Hierapolis is famous for like these uh, natural hot springs. In fact, to this day, people travel to Turkey and stay in like really nice hotels in this part of Turkey, specifically because the hot tubs in the hotels are, um, are heated by the hot springs, by the very natural hot springs. So famous hot springs, which means you have naturally water that comes directly out of the ground that is unbelievably hot. And so famously so. And so what, what would happen is the water would come out of the water and it would flow over like, um, over the, the hill next to the city. And so the people of Laodicea made a deal with the people of Hierapolis and basically set up a system where they built an aqueduct that flowed four miles. It's curvy because it's water. So um, <laughs> thank you. So they set up a four-mile aqueduct between hierapolis and laodicea so they were going to channel the hot water from hierapolis to laodicea the problem is if you have a first and this is some sometime roughly in the first century right about the time that the book of revelation was written so the problem is between a four mile span of time in a first century turkish aqueduct probably by the time it gets to where it's going is it still going to be hot no, as they found really quickly that it isn't hot by the time it reaches its source. It's cooled off, and at this point, it's just kind of lukewarm. Are you with me? So, so you have this really, really natural hot water, and by the time it gets to the city, it's lukewarm. Now, there's a second city to the southeast called colossi in fact if you have a bible there's a book in your bible called colossians it's written to a church in this city so about 11 miles from laodicea there's a city called colossi now colossi has really really cold water very nice natural cold water because it sits at the base of a very tall snow-capped mountain so you have that's a mountain um it's a terrible mountain it's gonna bother me if i don't just do it but anyway there's a mountain near colossi and it's snow-capped and this very like this ice-cold natural water flows down off the mountain and into the city, and it provides really, really good natural cold water. So again, the people of Laodicea try to build an aqueduct from Colossae into Laodicea. The problem is, if you have an 11-mile span of of distance, this feels like a math problem, doesn't it? Uh, uh, So if you have 11 miles where it the water starts ice cold and has to travel eleven miles through a first century Turkish aqueduct, by the time it gets to Laodicea, turns out it's also not cold anymore. It's lukewarm. And so it's this weird geographical like anomaly actually. It's it's kind of a a strange thing you never ever see anywhere else, which is like you have one place that has really hot water, one place that has really cold water, and any anytime it gets to the source in like where it's going, it all ends up being the same temperature. Which is really like if you are a city that has lots of everything And you can't get good water. That's like not only is that like a major problem; it's also like a real like kind of sore spot, like as far as like your um, your sense of self goes. By the way, um, it's the fact that the city where the hot water comes from starts with an H, the cold water starts with a C, and the lukewarm water lands in a a city that starts with an L. There's like the spreadsheet-making part of my brain just loves that so much. So. Um, I didn't even—I didn't even have to make that up. That's actually how it is. So, um, so, so this is the situation. So you have this group of people in Laodicea, and the situation is that all of the water that they get in the city is lukewarm and this is a again a kind of a sore spot a bit of a like a city embarrassment and so when john writes this letter to this group of people and he talks about lukewarm water he's kind of touching a nerve that's a pretty raw thing for them because again all these aqueducts were built in the first century right about the time that this letter was written so he's kind of like like poking them right where they don't really appreciate so but which it doesn't that doesn't really answer the question it's like okay we understand that this is the situation but we still don't understand why he's saying it or what he means by it so again we have to go back to okay why does he say that they're lukewarm so let's go on in revelation 3 uh we'll go back to verse 16 so we can kind of connect this stuff so in uh in revelation three sixteen, it says so because you are lukewarm neither hot nor cold i'm about to spit you out of my mouth you say i am rich I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. Now this is a reference to actually something that had happened very recently. In uh, a, about the year 61, about 30 years, 30-ish years before this letter was written, we mentioned last week that in the city of Philadelphia and in the, the surrounding areas, there was a massive earthquake that devastated lots and lots of this part of Turkey. Now, one of the things about all these cities is that they're all occupied by the Roman Empire. Well, that comes with a lot of disadvantages, one of, the thing, one of the advantages that come with that is when there's a natural disaster, Rome offers to help you rebuild your city. And so Rome began sending money to all these different cities that have been hurt by the earthquake and the only city in the entire roman empire that turned down help was laodicea they they told rome no thank you we don't need any help because we have enough money to rebuild ourselves so there's actually a point of pride in like and it wasn't just like they weren't being modest. It was a pride thing. It, it, was, it was a thing of like to receive help is to acknowledge weakness, and we don't do that. And so they denied they, – they refused help from the Roman Empire, which no other city could have possibly afforded to do. So when he says, you say I don't need a thing, he's referring very specifically to this event. So, so he says, uh, you say I'm rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched pitiful poor blind and naked so remember last week how the letter was like super warm and fuzzy and like really encouraging and empowering like all that's gone and so now what you have is like he's like basically name calling like he's called them lukewarm he's called them wretched poor pitiful uh naked blind like he's like like all the words he can think of he seems to just be like throwing at them and so um and so what's what's interesting though, you remember a couple of weeks ago when we looked at the city of Smyrna and we talked about how um how the same writer says to this group of people, you are poor, but I say you are rich. And we talked about how like the difference between poor and rich in the minds of the writers of the scriptures have a lot to do with what you do with what you have. And so to be poor and yet still be rich has to do with like, okay, we have very little, but the things that we have, we're going to use to bring some sort of good and peace and joy and love into the world. You know I'm talking? If you were here that week, you'll maybe remember that. And so, so this one writer, Writer, seems to sort of flip the ideas of rich and poor. And so he tells one group, you say you're poor, but I say you're rich because you have like these open hearts and you you spread all this love and joy to the people around you even though you have very little. To this group of people, he flips the metaphor entirely and he says, you say you're rich, but I say you're poor. So now he's we're back in that same language, but now it's it's like again, he's flipped it. And so um let's try and figure out why he's done that. And so in verse 18, it says i counsel you to buy from and by the way it's important to understand he's speaking as if speaking on behalf of jesus so like to the reader these are the words of jesus himself and so it says i counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see here's why this is super interesting what are the three things he can, and he can, like, he's using this as a metaphor. He's saying, I counsel you to buy, like, these three things. And by the, he's using, like, economic terms because that's how the people who live in the city, like, think about life. And so he says, I counsel you to buy gold, white clothes, and salve for your eyes. So what are the three forms of income that have made this city so rich gold black clothes and ice salve so what's he doing he's playing with the idea like what are the things that have made you so wealthy and what he's saying is it turns out that the things that have made you wealthy are actually the things that have made you poor so in some sort of way the idea here is your wealth has actually made you less human than you were before. It has actually your wealth has separated you in some sort of way from the rest of the world. Imagine the frustration and the pain if you live in Philadelphia and your city has been devastated and you have nothing. Or if you live in Smyrna and like everything has been taken away from you and you're basically living just on the generosity of others and you find out that one of these other cities that also has a church, one of these other churches has basically like they've had it easy. And they've, they've had no problems at all. And when someone offers them help, not only do they not offer to help anybody else, they say, no, thank you, we don't need help. And so it becomes like this, it's almost like they're rubbing their own wealth in the faces of everybody else is how it would have been perceived. And so what, what's, what's being said here? It's essentially saying your, your status, your comfort, your ability to be self-sustaining has actually made you unaware of and unconcerned with what everybody else is going through. And so the things that have made you rich have actually made you poor. And so there's this really, really interesting thing he's doing here, again, with the language of rich and poor. So again, why does he say that they're lukewarm? Well, here's the thing. Hot water has a lot of uses. Hot water is useful. Hot water is useful for bathing. It's useful for sterilization. It's useful for various like medical things. Cold water is useful, Cold, obviously, for drinking, um, also for like irrigation for farm. Like, there's lots of things that you can do with hot water, and there's lots of things that you can do with cold water. Lukewarm water is useless. By the way, the hot water that came from the springs, they couldn't even drink it when it had cooled off because of all the chemicals that had naturally made it hot. And so it was uns- like so. By the time the hot water gets here and it's lukewarm, not only is it like not hot anymore, it's completely useless. They can't use it for anything. And so when he says, you are neither hot nor cold, you're lukewarm, he's not saying like, you don't really care. What he's saying is, you've actually become kind of useless. And because the thing is, there's this idea of we're all in this together. That's, That's sort of the idea of sending one letter to seven different churches, is we're all in this together. And so we each have to carry weight for one another. And when you have one group of people who basically are like, we're good, then all of a sudden, they stop participating in this thing where they are needed. And so it's not like, like hot is good and cold is bad and lukewarm is just whatever. It's, no, hot is good and cold is good and lukewarm is just, has no value. It has no use at all. It has no value. And so what John is saying here is because of your wealth, because of the things that have separated you from everybody else, you've actually become that awful drinking water that you can't drink. You know that water that nobody likes and that everybody's sort of aggravated about how the system is? All that water that no one in the city can drink, that's kind of what you've become is what he's saying to this group of people. And so lukewarm is essentially a way of saying you have become so focused on yourself. You have become so comfortable. You have become so consumed with am I okay that your, like, your ability to be concerned with other people has completely evaporated. And so... And, and this, by the way, we see this kind of thing all the time. And this, this is not to say that having things is bad. This isn't to say that wealth is bad. Like that, I'm not, I'm not saying that. What he's saying is a lot of times it is entirely possible to have all that we need and to not ask any questions beyond, do I have all that I need? There, there, because the next set of questions is, okay, what do I have that somebody else might need? Like, for example... Um, we it, just in in our context here. When we moved in uh, to the city of Roanoke, one of the questions we began asking is: Is there anybody around here that needs our help? And one of the things we found is that there was a community nearby who was about to be displaced, like this uh, this community of mostly people who were of. Um, who, who were in need in some sort of way who did not have a lot of options and so what, what was happening was a, um, a land developer bought up all this property and had given this group of people a very limited amount of time to move and a lot of people just they were about to just be completely displaced and so there were lots of people in the city who were crying out about this and who were saying like, this is not right people are going to be homeless people are going to have nowhere to go what we need to help the, this group of people there were a couple of and, and admittedly there were only one or two voices that i heard say something like this but basically the the response was hey i'm just happy that my property value is going to finally start going up like that was actually something someone said and so what what is that that is essentially that response is i have a certain amount of comfort and i have a certain amount of possessions and my comfort and my possessions are more important than whether or not a family is about to be made homeless and so this this here is me being lukewarm essentially like to 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 say something like that is essentially like saying my concern is only for me and when my concern becomes only for me, then I have dismissed myself, or I, I've excused myself from the conversation about what it means to follow Jesus in the world. Because to follow Jesus, to be the kinds of people who are of the kingdom of God, are to be the kinds of people who are constantly aware of and concerned with the well-being of others. And so, like, I, I was just yesterday, I was listening to um, to a podcast with, um, with Aaron Rodgers, who I had no idea. Is a quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. So uh, but um Apparently, very famous athlete. That was really impressive. Um, So, but he was talking about like all this work that he does with like underprivileged kids. And um, if we don't know each other, I don't know much about sports. So, uh, but but I I was listening, and he's talking about like all these things that he does for like underprivileged kids and people who are in the hospital. And my my response in my mind was like, that's beautiful. Like you're talking about somebody who is one of the like at the top, not just at the top of his profession, but probably one of the wealthiest people in his field. And yet, a lot of his time goes to Helping other people who don't have what he has. I also heard um, a while back um, Johnny Depp, the actor, who I did know that, who that was. Um, <laughs> I, I I heard I've heard I don't know how true this is. I don't know how, but I mean it sounded true. But um, so I'll t- I'll tell it. If it's not true, it's still it's still a good story. But um, I've heard that he uh, when he travels he takes his uh, Jack Sparrow outfit like the, from the Pirates of the Caribbean that he takes it with him everywhere he goes because he likes to go and visit uh, like kids in the hot and like cancer wards as like in character as jack sparrow because he just likes to go visit people in the hospital you have somebody who could very very easily take all the money and resources that he has and never interact with another human being ever again and what does he do he takes all that he he takes the thing that he has and he uses it to make someone who is suffering to offer something good to them why does that stir us? It, it, by the way, if that does nothing for you, you have no heart. Like that is, that's, that is an unbelievably, that is a powerful, beautiful thing. And when we see people do that, there is something in us that we love stories like that. There is nothing more powerful a lot of times in our world than when you see someone who has a lot, who, who has status, who has money, who has power, who takes what they have and they use it to help someone who doesn't have any of those things. There is something very naturally that we respond to about that. Why? Because we are a part of something. We are, we are i would argue we are wired to respond to, th- to that kind of thing we are wired to do those kinds of things as well so we are so there's one response which is like i'm just glad my property value is going to go up there's another response which is i have this pirate's outfit how can i use it to to make someone's life a little bit better today and so lukewarm is basically i have i have t- i've tuned out to the needs of others the things that have made me rich have actually made me poor the things that have given me power have given me privilege have given me status are actually the things that have removed my awareness of what other people need in the world Um, anytime we're a part of a conversation where it becomes about privilege and it becomes a—we um, talked about this, like, last week. Anytime you're a part of a conversation that's about privilege, and it becomes like a, well, that's never happened to me, so that not, must not exist. Is anybody familiar with this? Like, if you're, if you're in a conversation with someone, and the, the topic of, let's say, gender equality comes up, and someone starts bringing up the fact that women largely do not get paid as well as men do, women are largely not treated as well as men are in most of, like, the world around us, and if you, if you bring that up with someone, it's possible that you have, like, a, a man, usually, who will say something like, no, that's not a thing. Well, why does he think that? Because he has lived in a world where that's never happened to him. And so the thing that gave him that privilege has actually made him unaware of the lack of privilege of other people. The thing that made him rich has actually made him poor because to be rich in the in the Jesus kingdom of God reality is to be fully aware of the struggles and the suffering of others and so when we become Dismissive of the struggles of others, what that, what, because we've never struggled that way, what that means is our richness has actually made us poor. We've become less and less of who we were created to be. The same is true, uh, like the conversation in our world right now about, about race, which, I mean, if you look around the room right now, we're a pretty pasty bunch. So, which, you know, welcome. But... Um, but it's, it's very possible that if you're in a conversation about race with a bunch of white people and someone says, like, you know, there's there, we it's 2016 and there's still a lot of, like, r- racial healing that needs to happen. And one of the people in the room, again, probably a white person, will say, like, no, 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 we fixed that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh, really? Because I know lots of people who are not white who would argue, no, we haven't. So what is that? that that's okay. Well, I've never, been, I've never been the victim. I'm a white 35-year-old heterosexual male. Imagine this. I've never been the victim of racism. So, so for me, it's entirely possible for me to go through my whole life and be completely aware that there's a problem here because my richness has made it possible for me to be quite poor. It's also possible for us to take what we have, our privilege, our status, our power, our wealth, whatever it is that we have that has given us some sort of advantage and to say, okay, what, what I have here, it's like Johnny Depp's pirate outfit, you know? Like, what do I have here that I can use to make someone else's life better? Because to to allow the things that have... It, I would argue... Sorry, I, I'm, I, I'm, I tried to start three different sentences at once that did not work. <laughs> so I would argue that, you know, there's a, there's a um, place in... The, the gospels where jesus says it's, it's easier for a camel to, to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven this is what he's talking about why because wealth and status and power remove us from what's going on what the kingdom of heaven is really all about which is the well-being of others and the providing of love and hope to people who are marginalized and who need love and hope so if i allow the thing that has separated me Front, who, that has given me some sort of status or privilege if i allow that to be the thing that makes me unaware of the suffering and the needs of others then i have become like undrinkable useless lukewarm water in the kingdom of god and so um i mean there's all kinds of places we could go by the way several of the commentators uh, that i read about this one passage something that they said and these are commentaries that were like written years like like decades way before our current presidential debates you know what i mean like and so but what people were saying a long time ago about these passages which i would argue it's never been more relevant now is like of all the letters to the seven churches the one to laodicea is the one that western americans need to pay attention to the most because we more than any other people in the world understand privilege and we understand status and we understand what it means to have a little bit of an advantage over lots and lots of other people if you drove here in a car today you are one of the top two percent of the wealthiest people in the world and so we have to understand that we are, just by the nature of where we come from and, and where we live, we are a privileged people. And so the question becomes, do we take our privilege and we, do we use it to provide hope and love and peace in Jesus to others? Or do we use it to say, well, no, there's no problem because I don't have a problem. And so this is, this is a massive challenge. This is a – like of all the things – that have been said in the book of Revelation, this is the thing that comes directly to our front door. I would argue that this, this was written thousands of years ago. It's never been more relevant than it is now. And so what does it look like for us to become more open and more aware of what, other, what, what the needs of others are? What does it look like for us to use the things that have made us rich and find a way to, allow, to make us more and more aware? Because it's possible that the things that have made you rich have actually made you poor. So, um, but what's interesting here is he doesn't end the the, the whole thing with this. And look at uh, verse 19. He says, uh, "So after he's basically just like come come in here and just completely like taking them to town." In uh, in verse 19, it says. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. So he doesn't end this with like get better before I check back in with you. He ends this with like by the way, all of this this is not coming from a place of anger or or like fear or judgment. This is coming from a place of love because I know that you can do better because I understand that what you have could be a beautiful gift to the people around you. So, it's this beautiful thing of like I'm not saying this to you to beat you down. I'm saying this to you so that I can empower you to be better. You were created. You have been given all of these beautiful gifts. So what does it look like for you to open yourself up and to offer those things to others? And and he and he says, "So re- repent." And this word repent is we've talked a lot about this before, but it's return. It's the idea of like you were created for the like with this beautiful thing inside you you were created with the image of god dwelling within you and so repent is find that and go and be who you were created to be in fact um there's this other writer named ezekiel from the old testament who writes this in uh, ezekiel 36 he says i will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you i will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh So we find that this God is in the business of taking away a heart of stone and giving us a heart of flesh, of taking the things that have hardened us to the needs of others and softening our souls and spirits to what can I do to make this better for someone else? God is in the renewal business. And then he ends it with this in um, verse 20. In verse 20, it says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. How does he end this? He doesn't end this on like a mic drop. He doesn't end this on like a, so now get it together. He ends it with, so let's, let's have a meal together. How often, isn't it interesting how often like in the middle of something that Jesus is trying to say to a group of people, it always ends with like, by the way, let's, let's eat. Like, you remember, we, if you were here on Easter, we talked about how, like, there was this whole massive thing that happened, and, like, right in the middle of it, Jesus is like, by the way, do you have any fish? You know what I mean? Like, how, why is there always, like, this, like, at the end of, like, a massive, like, mind-blowing, like, earth-shattering, paradigm-shifting kind of thing, does Jesus, like, stop in the middle and be like, we should, we should have a meal sometime? Because the meal is a sacred thing in this world The table like, like I mentioned before uh, Several weeks ago That there was this ancient phrase That was Every table is an altar Which is essentially a way of saying Like every time you gather with someone There is a divine presence there with you Every t- every time you gather around a table And break bread It's we are acknowledging That we are alive together That we are sharing some sort of humanity With one another And a meal, by the way This is not something you would do really fast Between like morning shift and, and like afternoon shift This is like This is hours at a time In fact in most of the world It still is today where like if you go to a meal like don't make any plans for like right after the meal because like it's going to be a while that you're just going to sit there and enjoy one another's company because that's what a meal is at this time and in this place and so when jesus says like after after the whole thing about like so if i was going to like sum up this whole letter it's okay you guys have completely lost the plot because you like all these things have made you rich but they're poor you're like that water that no one wants to drink but here's the thing I'm offering this to you out of love because I think you can do better. So why don't we start with this? Let's have a meal. And let's try again. Let's do better. The good news of this letter is there is still love here. And there is still hope here. And that the people that you see that frustrate you the most, the people who say the things that make you think like, oh, that person has become like lu- lukewarm water. Because it's never us. It's always somebody else. But, <laughs> um, but all, all the things that we see that we, that we get so frustrated about, what we find here is there's still love here for that person too god still loves them just as much as god loves you and so it ends not with like a word of condemnation but a why don't we share a meal so the whole thing wraps up then all of the seven letters wrap up with so let's let's end this by talking about a meal So that's what we're going to do. We're going to have communion. And if you want to share this table and this meal with us, this is a symbolic thing that we do a lot here because it's so prevalent all over the scriptures, which is like the idea of there's a shared thing that we are a part of. And so for those of us who we are aware of our privilege, and now the next question is, okay, what does it look like for me to take my privilege, my power, my leverage, whatever it is that I have, and open myself up and make something better for somebody else? What does it look like for me to do that? What does it look like for me to be more open? What are the things that have made me rich, but have actually somehow also made me poor? And so, th- there there should be a, this, this should trouble us in a lot of ways. This should this should stir us in a lot of ways. But we should also find hope in the final word is, but I still love you. So let's try again. Let's do better. Come to the table. Let's share a meal and let's go back. And we'll try again. Because there is still love here. I will take your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. Some of us, how many of us need a fresh heart of flesh? So why don't I pray for us? And if you want to come and uh, participate in uh, this thing that Jesus invites us to, then um, please feel free to do so. If you don't want to, that's totally okay. Um, And we have, uh, if you need gluten-free or if you need grape juice, please let me know when you get up here and uh, that's, that's fine. So may you be more and more aware of all the power that you do have. May you be aware of of all of the ways that you can open yourself up and heal someone else in your life. And um, may we hear the good news of this thing, which is, like, this is not about guilt. It's not about feeling really, really bad about the things that we have. This is about understanding that we are loved and that we are loaded up with all kinds of potential, and we can actually do something to bring Jesus more into the world than ever before. So let me pray for us, and uh, if you want to come and take communion, uh, you can do that. God, we thank you for this, uh, this word that feels quite harsh for those of us who, um, <coughs> who understand that we are a people of privilege. And uh, we, we thank you for stirring us like this. We thank you for waking us up to all the ways that, the things that ha- how the things that have made us rich can actually make us poor. And for those of us who need to be stirred, we pray that we would be open to that. And to those of us who right now we feel kind of guilty because we feel like this is something that we've been a part, we've been participating in without even realizing it. And we pray that for those of us who have some sort of guilt about this, We pray that we would hear the final words, which are, but I still love you. So let's try again. Let's share a meal. We pray that we would receive not only the conviction, but we pray that we would receive the forgiveness. We pray that we would receive the mercy and the hope and the love. For those of us who have never chosen to follow you, for those of us who have never chosen to participate in the story that you are telling through Jesus, We pray that we would be open to that. We pray that we would take a step towards that story and that we would embrace our part in that story. We pray that we would find all the ways that we can take what we have and share it with someone else. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.